Hello, folks, and welcome to In My Humble Opinion, a daily Nebraskan podcast featuring my fellow opinion writers and our editor. I'm opinion columnist Nick Finan. Joining me today are columnists Emma Crabb and Brian Beach, along with our editor, Sydney Miller. Today we'll be talking about gerrymandering, protest laws, the Supreme Court, and the general state of the nation. So, uh, we'll start with um, uh, the uh, protest laws. I'm not yeah. taking away. Yeah, sure. So this is kind of something that I stumbled across in my, you know, daily internet life. <laughs> the, uh, all the all the information on the internet um, was just kind of this press release that that crossed my feed um, talking about what what is called the uh, Law Enforcement Protection Act. Now this is not yet a bill. This isn't even technically a proposal, um, but a press conference was called on Wednesday um, with a couple of state senators. It looks like um, Senator Tom Brewer. Um, and then Representative Don Bacon was also there to kind of talk about this. And the uh, main the main gist of this Protection Act says that it punishes, it's a Nebraska law that would defund criminals, not police. Um, which is an interesting way to put do, it. Do criminals, it with, do criminals currently do, get funding from the government? Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> well, the thing is, it doesn't really even discuss, like, convicted criminals or felons or anything like that. It basically, um, I also have the kind of the proposal that's not a real proposal pulled up on my phone, um, which has a couple articles here, where basically it talks about protesting, um, which to me, it's kind of an interesting way to say that it defunds criminals when it's talking about the right to protest i don't think that's a good way to go about it is to like automatically assume that the people that are protesting are criminal in nature where i think is like a first kind of big deal um and i understand you know we are a a fairly red state you know so there's a lot of um there's a lot of support for law enforcement and not defunding police and all that jazz um, but some some highlights here um, include um, felonies when six or more people assemble and cause serious property damage. Um, there's some felonies for obstructing traffic during an unpermitted protest or demonstration. Like a, fe- a felony? Yeah, yeah, a class 3A felony. Does this also have something about like how like people can hit protesters with their cars? Because I know a lot of states have been doing that. I haven't seen people with your car. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like that. But the part that is probably the most worrying to me, um, there's a at the very bottom. It um, talks about an offense and or sentence enhancements for the conspiracy to organize, including funding a violent assembly resulting in property damage or bodily injury. Oh. Do they not realize that most protest violence like that happens is not planned? It's it's fantastic. That's the thing, yeah. I was just I was just watching Netflix just put out um the trial of the Chicago Seven. I don't know if you guys have heard of that at all or like seen that. But it's like a trial that these men got put on because they staged like a protest. 
and it escalated and it got violent and they eventually were i think they were all exonerated um but it was kind of it, it goes into that realm of conspiracy and whenever you are like people conspired to do this or they wanted to do this it's it gets very gray and i really don't like that in terms of like freedom of speech and and freedom of assembly you know also you know especially considering like some of the times there is violence at these protests you know sometimes it's started by the cops yeah and it's like if if you have an organization and like the the official black lives matter people put on an event and then either the police incite violence or like three random people who aren't even like protesting they just want to start some stuff they can also go and just like set stuff on fire and then the black lives matter organization gets dinged for that yeah the the, the guy who was just like with the uh like in the first wave of protest the guy who was just like smashing windows and people were like dude what are you doing yeah yeah, I, I do think the final part of that legislation is the biggest point of contention by far, just because, yeah, it really de-incentivizes wanting to lead a protest. Um, just because, yeah, if you have that liability, there's really a, a big danger. Um, like, for example, I, I interviewed several um, Black Lives Matter protesters the night of May 30th, which... At 2 a.m. later, you had people smashing windows, and that was the biggest night of violence in Lincoln. And yet, I can pretty much guarantee that the people that organized the 6 p.m. rally were not anywhere close to the same crowd that was looting and smashing windows and you know burning the, the insurance building. So that's a really da- that's the thing that seems really dangerous. Um, and I hope that that becomes the big attention getter because. What I fear is that this is going to go out as, you know, a simple law and order. We want to protect our cities. We don't want to keep everything safe from rioters. And in Nebraska, I think that will get a lot of support. So the key, I think, is just going to make sure that people understand it's that leaders have to be responsible for anyone who shows up. I don't I don't really think that's a good way of doing it in something as often if unorganized as these sort of um mass protests yeah yeah i mean i mean and like and like it just okay so um in my in my piece when i was talking about the capital like over the entrance of the uh, uh of the um, of the capitol building the main entrance is a quote like like the salvation of the state is the watchfulness of the people it's like how can we be watchful if we can't you know yell at yeah, that at the very least we should be able to do is just make legislatures feel bad about what they're doing if we don't agree with it. I feel like that's a very American right that we should all just have. Right. The Lincoln Journal Star's article does also feature um, there were a large group of counter protesters that also went to that press release. Um, and they were talking about, they, they addressed the fact that um, 70% of the peaceful protests, there had not been violent moments, um, except for when the police officers, she said, became violent. Um, so I think that's like an important thing too. And I mean, we even look at, Nick, you were talking about um, what's 
um, in front of the state capitol. Nebraska's state motto is equality before the law. Um, and so I think that's that kind of plays into that too. Um, yeah. Uh, so moving on to um, Brian, you had uh, you had some uh, something you want to talk about on gerrymandering. Yeah. So obviously, uh, common readers of the DN opinion section know by now I um, do have an affinity for local government, and gerrymandering is something that often is viewed at on a national level because it's how you're choosing your um, the U.S. House, really, and the House of Representatives, um, despite often having a majority of people voting. Uh, now, it's of course, it's blue, but for a lot of the last decade, it had been in Republican hands, despite not having a Republican majority of votes overall. And I think we really got to look back to the year 2010, which is, of course, the last major redistricting after the that census. And Actually, after the election of Barack Obama, you had these people kind of saying, well, look at the changing demographics of America. Is it even possible for a Republican to win ever again? I mean, a lot of people really looked at the map and said, hey, I, I think this is it for the GOP. And so while the, the Democrats were kind of almost in this rejoicing of like, ha, I don't think we can be good anymore. The Republicans decided to spend a ton of money on state legislative races in a project called Red Map, and they were pumping out this money to go to these local elections that the Democrats really didn't spend a whole lot of money on. And for that reason, there was the greatest flip of state legislatures uh, legislatures in 2010. In fact, 700 seats were flipped across the country from blue to red. And because of that, then you had these state legislatures redrawing the maps for their own state and having that national um, impact. And so the reason I say that is because often I think that uh, the Democratic Party relies too much on these larger um, national federal level elections and is not focusing enough on the uh, local elections. Instead, we might have a nice post about how to go out and vote and how oh, the evil Republicans are bad for gerrymandering. And yet often that's just something that is viewed at as kind of a, oh, what can we do? It's so unfair. Yes, it is unfair. But the best way to do that is to go at it from a local elections perspective. Yeah, I yeah. think in my in my home state of Maryland, like <sighs> um, it's generally really always been blue for the Electoral College. But we have a Republican governor and there are really, really red areas of the state. And a lot of that is in the rural rural areas of the state. And I think that like. If you don't, if you just look at what it looks like on the electoral map, you're not seeing the whole picture of the state, and you're not, you're not going to be able to do what needs to be done politically in that state if you're either the Democrats or the Republicans. I mean, to be yeah. fair, Maryland's state shape already looks like it's been gerrymandered. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, like, I, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I right, because like when I when I think of Nebraska, I don't. I'm like how can you gerrymander that? It's like three districts, but then it's like, oh, right, states, or like state legislature, um, which, yeah, uh, California has like an independent commission that they do. Like they just have like a panel of judges uh, and they're all like retired, so they don't, you know, they're not in the political system or whatever. Do you think it works? Um, 
it, that's really hard to tell. Uh, so, kind of. Um, but like, California's already weird because it's like, it's really blue in some parts, and then in other parts, it's like pretty red. Well, it's also a huge um, state. Like, there's so many yes, people there. Yes, it, it's it's a big place. Um, I think generally that. Um, it, it's pretty reflective, at least uh, on the uh, congressional level, of like, it's about like 60-30, uh, or not 60-30, uh, 60-40-ish, somewhere in there. So that's, you know, a thing. Um, and then uh, we had the, uh, the confirmation of uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, this past week. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's much to say about her. Like, I know, I don't know if you saw the Girl Scouts official Twitter account um, made a little, they posted, and it was like, congrats on being the fifth, like, woman appointed to, appointed to the Supreme Court. And then everyone dunked on Girl Scouts because they were like, she's bad for women's rights. And, you know, whether or not that's true, I, like... Yeah, she's she's cemented a very solid Republican majority in the court, and she's, like, pretty young. So that's a huge thing. But the thing is, when they announced that they were nominating her, I saw stuff everywhere. I saw think pieces, think pieces. I saw, like, tweets. I saw on my Facebook page, even, which usually isn't... My Mine isn't actually that political for most, most of the time. But, like... Good for you. Good I know, you. I know. <laughs> um, but... And I, I got a news alert, I think it was two days ago, that she was officially confirmed. And um, I just got the news alert from, like, the Washington Post, and I didn't see anything else really about that at all. It feels like it's just kind of died out. And I was wondering what you guys thought about that and sort of, like, connecting that to the general burnout that the um, left seems to sometimes have when it comes to these, like, outrageous things because how can you get my take on it is how can you get outraged about this and keep it up when there's so many things to be outraged about like things just keep happening you know so i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing or if we should be more upset about amy coney barrett or if it's good that we're sort of looking in the future i don't really have my mind made up on that so so i I think that the reason that there wasn't really that much reaction to uh when she was confirmed was because everybody kind of knew it was going to happen. They just didn't really know when. Um, uh, and then, you know, as you get closer, you're like, okay, yeah, so it's going to happen before the election. Um, but, yeah, I... Ugh. <laughs> um, I mean, she, along with Kavanaugh and Roberts, uh, were actually, like, working for Bush in 2000 and they like helped form the argument of like why you know before the Supreme Court like why ballots should stop being counted which you know isn't great for a potential like potentially contended election yeah well I honestly don't think that this the the confirmation of Amy Comey Barrett is something that the left or Democrats should really be in outraged about just in the sense that they have at this time, I mean, yes, the, the timing of the election, control what you can control. And at that point, that's really not something that can be controlled. And 
I mean, there was a little more outrage um, with Kavanaugh just because of his social past and the, the questions of what he did in college when um, Amy Coney Barrett, yes, you can agree with the politics, but she didn't necessarily have any personal life scandals, if that makes sense. And so I think, if anything, maybe the Democrats use that as a tool to, to get people inspired to come out and vote. Um, but I think the other thing is that obviously it sets kind of the precedent that really you need a president and the Senate in order to have a nominee go through. Um, because obviously the Democrats had just the president without the Senate. And uh, so that's why Merrick Garland was not um, nominated. And so it, that is kind of an interesting precedent. But I think instead of just saying, oh, this is so terrible, this is, I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate. But at this point, what are you going to do about Amy Coney Barrett? If anything, you just have to reframe the argument of this is why we need to vote um, Democrat in this election if you are uh, Democrat in that case. I mean, I just think it's, of all the yeah. things going on, that's not something that's worth I, I, getting into. I, I think that the death of RBG has made a lot of people, especially people who are like quite further to the left, be like, why do we need a Supreme Court? Why does what like like why does the fate of democracy ha- hang in the balance because of like an old woman died like that's what old people do. Yeah, I also I also thought it was really interesting, though. I, I don't know. I feel like the Democrats could have gone about a better way of, um, like opposing Amy Coney Barrett in a way too, because I saw a lot of information that was like Amy Coney Barrett believes this, Amy Coney Barrett does that. I actually, I don't know a ton about her, but she's been on my radar for quite a while um, just because um, my right-leaning father loves her. Like, back when Trump had his first Supreme Court pick, my dad was like, pick Amy Coney Barrett, like, was like ready was like has loved her how does he how does he know about like i don't what's his connection um (laughs) my my dad is just he's got such interesting like political knowledge where he just seems to know so much about so many things um a lot of things i don't agree with but you know he's a very knowledgeable person but at least she's been on my radar for a very long time because any time in the past four years we discussed Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett is is somewhere on his radar. So I don't necessarily think that the way to go about opposing her was saying she believes this, she does this, she did this. I think a lot of it plays into the death of RGB and the whole fact that she, she got confirmed a couple days ago. Our election is Tuesday. It is so soon, and it is with so little time, and, I mean, Senate majority aside, Merrick Garland was denied for, what, nine months, something around there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to squeeze someone through like that, it, it felt rushed. It felt like it didn't have, you know, the proper timeline, um, and it, I definitely think that the Democrats could have at least gotten more weight and some more like some more public attention if they would have focused more on the fact that it seems like it's being rammed through. I, I kind of think that they, they should have, they should have uh, just um, like not attended the uh, like judiciary hearings just to be like, this is illegitimate. Um, this is not, you know, like 
we're not, we're not going to take part in Mitch McConnell's farce. Um, and I think that uh, Amy Coney, like um, Democratic opinions of her actually rose throughout the thing because Joe Biden praised her um, and uh, Dianne Feinstein, uh, I think, said something nice about her and also Mitch McConnell, or not Mitch McConnell, um, Lindsey Graham, uh, which that was bad. And I'm so happy she's my senator. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sort of reminds me of, I was uh, listening to a podcast about the um, Clarence Thomas confirmation and the Anita, the Anita Hill testimonies, and what was interesting to me about that is that um, the, the podcast implied that the Democrats didn't really want to go through all this Anita Hill stuff. Like, they could have brought in more um, witnesses or um, people who were accusing Thomas of things. But they didn't want to seem like they were purposely trying to block a Republican nomination, and especially not purposefully trying to block the nomination of an African-American man. And it was much more just like sort of this half-hearted, like, yeah, we'll bring Anita Hill in here, but like, I get it, they get to have this. So it's interesting to see how that has changed from then to Kavanaugh. But then when it comes to Amy Coney Barrett, I'm wondering if if there's anything having to do with the Democrats not, you know, she's a woman, and it's good that there are more women in places of power. Like, did Amy Coney Barrett effectively utilize girl power when she became a Supreme Court nominee? I don't know. I'm just wondering if the Democrats sort of leaned yeah. off a little because she's a woman. That could be it. Um, I mean, it, it, if that's a large part of why i mean i think you know that's like yes we should have more women but like one they should be qualified and two you know if right so like the judiciary like it is it is partisan like we, we've been being like people are making the judiciary partisan like it's been partisan for a long time and like people are just having a hard time coping with that fact i have to say though i do uh, think amy coney barrett is qualified i mean she she's had what like two years of like actual like judicial experience i mean like she was a professor for a really long time but like you know i would have liked to see you know at least somebody who had more experience as a judge yeah and i guess i would add one more thing as maybe someone who is probably a more center-left American Democrat um, in that I, I think that it's great that our um, the, the confirmation of Amy Comey Barrett is, in my opinion, exactly how a Supreme Court um, nominee should be um, like that, that whole process I think was done right. The issue was that the process was not done right with Merrick Garland and then Neil Gorsuch. So I think it also looks bad because I'm someone who, yes, the, whether or not I liked it, Donald Trump was elected president for the four years of his term, and therefore, if anyone, if there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court, you should ha have the right to fill it, just as I believe that Barack Obama should have had the right to fill it back in 2016. But um, so, so that, I think it's also a little tough to challenge this one because the thing that we're mad about is what happened four years ago. But even then, it's like, oh, you're still mad about what happened four years ago? Oh, you're living in the past, and so. It's, it's a frustrating precedent, but I, I think this was done well, and especially 
I, I don't think you should have these long, oh, we'll just wait till the next election. I, I don't like that in how quickly things are occurring in this nation to have a Supreme Court with only eight justices on it going into an election that, while very unlikely, could still be decided by the Supreme Court. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. I understand that. I mean, um, I mean, like, it, if, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, but, like, I feel like this is going, like, now Democrats are going to pack the Supreme Court, right? Like, that's, like, or if they're going to try to at least, like, so, like, it, and then it just sort of snowballs into this uh, inevitable thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it started, though, you know, when they didn't in, in 2016. Yes. Yes, and I will say, if anything else... I'd say the last thing I have to say about Amy Coney Barrett is that at least we don't have a Supreme Court entirely of people who went to Harvard and Yale Law. Like, she went to Notre Dame Law, which is still, you know, a quasi-Ivy, but, you know, we're branching out. Maybe some say soon we'll have a Supreme Court who went to a public land-grant um, law school. That's gotta, my hope. We gotta get ourselves a Supreme Court from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln yeah. Law School. Yeah. There we go. That is the <laughs> <Yeah>. goal. <laughs> All right. So, uh, moving on to uh, the big topic of uh, this week is the uh, potential for uh, civil unrest and political violence post-election. Um, the fun stuff. So it, it, fun, yeah, the fun stuff. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I texted my mom about this and she was like, oh yeah, totally normal basic stuff, right? Um, so... I've been worried about um, the potential for civil conflict, you know, all year. Um, it's kind of driven me insane, um, which not great. But anyways, um, uh, like, oh God, um, so 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 uh there's this vice article um that talks about it and in the vice article uh they interview uh, uh, uh was by uh matthew galt uh, and he interviewed uh, uh both david kukulin and robert evans uh who are both you know uh knowledgeable on the topic robert evans has covered uh you know the syrian civil war uh david kukulin i believe worked in the state department uh and they so it if there's if there's civil conflict, it's not we're not going to immediately recognize it as a civil war, and it's unlikely that the actual federal government ever will, because that would you know involve acknowledging that like there are parts of the of the shape of the United States that they don't actually control, uh, and that's just not what states do. Um, but so it, it, it's. If it happens, it would start with sort of you end up seeing um, like a sort of continuous pattern of um, non-state actors um, doing violence to each other um, for political reasons. And so, like, um, like uh, for example, like um, the the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, shooting, like you would see that, and then somewhere else in the country, you would see a left-wing response to that. And then it would just, just it would be continuous. Like there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be, you know, more than two weeks without an incident like that. And then eventually it would, things would just fall apart. And um, 
the uh, the power of the state would sort of start to retreat from certain areas, and uh, either left wing or right wing militias or just armed citizens would end up taking the place of that sort of monopoly on force that defines the state. I think that's interesting, especially in the light of Walmart just yanked guns from its stores again. Um, they did it this summer when the when the protests were at their peak of, you know, um, it was like right at the start, right after the George Floyd shooting. And that, that uh, just makes me think of, I think it was in Seattle, the autonomous zone. Um, yeah. Do you yeah, like where the protesters like camped out yeah. and like took over that police? Is Seattle or Portland? Yeah, oh, it, was, it was Seattle. The uh, it was uh, okay. the, the, okay. the Chaz is what it was originally yeah. called. But <laughs> later on, they renamed it to the Chop, which Capitol Hill organized protest. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so it's like that. Would you say that is like something that would happen just more regularly if we if we started a yeah. civil war in our country? So you would. Um, you would end up seeing stuff like that pop up in a lot of, uh, you know, really major American cities where, uh, you know, you will have a group of, of like, uh, just not necessarily like radical left wing, like ideologues, but just people who, who want to protect their homes, uh, banding together and sort of defending a pact of territory and being like, look, we don't like the cops. The cops and the, the feds are going to stay out of this area. This is, you know, we're, it, it would be around community self-defense uh, more than more than we're trying to declare independence. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think, and you know, I think similar things would happen out uh, out in the country, um, but with uh, but with generally more right-wing protests or more like right-wing groups, like. Uh, like malicious and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we can't talk about this. My dad would have my head if I didn't mention the Bundys and the the Malheur Wildlife Refuge standoff where they they just decided that that was going to be their land and they could graze their cattle on it. And they, you know, it was basically, it wasn't the same thing as CHOP, but it was very similar. Like, it was an armed militia. What do you say, Nick? Oh, uh, and I, so, now, there... So one way that this can, you know, sort of be prevented, and I think is sort of, um, so in recent years, um, liberals and leftists have started owning more guns, which, you know, on one hand is like, now both sides are armed and ready to kill each other. But on the other side, there is like this common ground of like, hey, guns are cool, (laughs) which can hopefully sort of build a bridge between left and right. Uh, I hope the bridge isn't, you know, them firing bullets at each other. But yeah, hopefully, maybe they'll just go to like a nice shooting range or something. <laughs> you know, do some bonding that they'll way. They'll shoot some clay pigeons. Yes. Maybe they're just like shooting like happy shots into the air. You know, like in celebration. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. I, so I'm I, actually. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say that I am cautiously optimistic about there not being mass rioting on election day or after the the day after and the the precedent for this i think is the brianna taylor case decision in louisville i remember that happened and the hype was huge like you know burn 
burn down Louisville, burn it all was like trending on Twitter. And so it was like, oh, here we go again. We know what that looked like in Minneapolis. And this is going to be all over the news. And like, it was kind of, at least for me, it felt like, oh, here we go again. And while there were marches and, you know, a couple maybe shop windows broken, I don't really think a whole lot happened. And we never saw that come back to Lincoln or Omaha. And so I don't think just because there's so much um, time for us to be kind of prepared for this, um, I don't know that you're going to see the mass um, violent protests. I think we saw like the women's march was a huge thing. I think you will see plenty of movements of marches, especially if Trump wins. And I think the more interesting thing is like if Biden wins, will there still be that same violence? And yes, I, I understand it doesn't like a couple of armed people in rural America don't have the same photo. Like that photo doesn't have as much power as thousands of people in city streets but i i guess i'm curious a first of all i don't think that you're going to see the same sort of violence after the election day i really hope i'm right but you know that may be a reasonable in a week but also be like what do you think there would is any chance of violence if biden wins just because he represents such a return to a status quo Uh, hi um I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the rural perspective for a hot <laughs> second, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because good old good old Western Nebraska, um, we had a Black Lives Matter peace march over the summer, and we were followed by people trying to sign up others for a militia, um, and they had many many weapons. And during our nine minutes of silence, blared very loud music and had lots of guns, but. Here's the thing. Ogallala is three hours from Denver, four hours from Lincoln, five hours from Omaha, three hours from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I really don't think Cheyenne, Wyoming is that big of a blue hub anyways, but. Yeah, it would be more like Laramie, if anything. Is the fact, like these guys are, you know, this is a right wing militia. These are people that if Biden wins and someone is like Proud Boys, stop standing back and buy and go do your thing. I'm not, there aren't, there are, I I mean, they could go, they could march in the streets of Ogallala where most people wouldn't care anyways. But the fact that they are so far from like blue hubs that they could go oppose or cause damage in or wage whatever war is happening, those places are far away. Those places are isolated enough that there is not going to be that big of a clash. I see instead potentially maybe a rise in further isolation. Something I noticed a lot growing up is there would be like, I'm just going to call them like a red, red spaces where you would go. And I sometimes um, it happened a lot for like volleyball. I was on the volleyball team in high school. I'd be walking around with my teammates and someone would come up to us and like say, good job on the game. And then they throw in a weird comment about like how Obama sucks. <laughs> Just because they think that everyone within that circle, everyone within Ogallala, everyone within that rule space has the same political views as them. I can see that potentially 
rising and alienating where people find greater comfort within their little sphere because they think that that sphere is homogenous. But I don't necessarily see like people going out of their way, especially when they're in convenient places. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I also think to Brian's point, I agree with him, but in a much more um, uh, cynical way, I think that people on the left, I, like I was talking about earlier with the burnout, I just don't think that people are going to be as likely to go out and do this protesting because honestly it's cold outside now like a lot of the main protests happen in the summer it's cold outside especially in the midwest and the you know the northeast it's cold and people are just tired and they saw how things didn't really happen last time so i'm sort of thinking that it's going to lean towards more of that and i i also agree with emma on the rural side and i think that as someone who grew up in Boise, Idaho, and then moved to um, a very liberal bubble outside of D.C., I think that the um, the problem with this isolation is completely legitimate. Like, people in the, the, the Beltway is what you call, like, sort of the area around D.C., and it, people don't really think about other people outside of the beltway and they had this thing in my school like oh we have to interview the one republican kid for our uh, school newspaper and it's like but it actually wasn't just the one republican kid there were a decent amount of republican-ish people at my school especially people's parents they just didn't talk as loud as the other people and i just think that when people talk loud about their political opinions and then they hear other people talking loud back to them and they're like oh you agree with me they're like okay so everyone everyone thinks this and that's just a terrible yeah. way to go about anything. Yeah. Um, so um, on, on the top, right, so it, like if Biden, okay, so when Trump won in 2016, we, like, there was an increase in violence, like, from the right. Um, and, like, that's when their guy won. Uh, so what, what I'm worried about is sort of, like, um, even if Biden wins overwhelmingly, that there could just be this like outpouring of rage that leads people to do some bad stuff. I mean, that could happen if Trump wins and from the left, but that it, it seems it, to me it seems less likely. I um, I I agree with you. I think there's definitely. I mean, I I understand. I know quite a few people who are Trump supporters, and they are very rational thinking and stuff like that. But there are also people who legitimately, like I have I have screenshots from like, pe- like friends on Facebook that are saying like, like Jesus Christ let Trump win and the Republicans take control of the house before the Democrats destroy all our American values. That's literally, that's literally what this says oh, that I'm holding up. She's got it right that. there. And there are people oh, no. who genuinely believe that. And those are the people that even if Biden wins by a landslide and there is no proof, they they possibly could turn violent. I definitely agree with that, Nick. Yeah. I, I think there's there's a significant overlap with these people and, like, the QAnon folks, right? I think, definitely. Well, well ra- rather, rather, I think that the QAnon folks are, in, like, if it's a Venn diagram, it's just, like, one circle inside of them. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen, uh, and I'm worried, but it all, I also do think that, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's all. That's all we can really say. Yeah. Typically, you like think of those like full blown civil wars. You know that that kind of implies the territory. Of course, we had the the North and the South split in mm-hmm. the 1860s, yeah. and yet I think now more than anything, it's a rural versus urban split. Absolutely. Yes, and especially, especially because of Trump. I mean, even before with Obama. Um, Obama did well in the rural Midwest, and I think Iowa is a great example. Like rural Iowa, looking at the difference between 2012 and 2016 results, was one of the places that went to Trump the most. And I think a lot of other rural areas, that's really how Trump won. Is that I mean, just looking at even in Nebraska, it used to maybe be a 30 to 70 percent, um, you know, Republican. I mean, Republicans have always done well in rural Nebraska, but like now it's 90 to 10. Um, and I think that's just been really interesting to see um, how that has really become more extreme. But also then, if you have a rural versus urban divide, how do you, it's a lot harder to go into a full-blown, you know, civil war in the traditional sense, because it's like, there's no real geographic boundaries and yeah. what even yeah. is going on. But yeah, the rural-urban divide, I think, is the, by far, it's bigger than, you know, even saying just, liberal elites on the coast versus the midwest no it's rural versus urban in pretty much every state yeah every i can't i can't think of a single state that like would be all if we had like a separation and a war i can't think of a single state that would be unified except maybe wyoming vermont Vermont is very liberal vermont's very cool also i just have to say except for my rural republican um thing i just said but yeah that's (laughs) I can't yeah. say I've ever been to New England. I'm curious to learn more about that. They have a Republican governor in Vermont. Oh, yeah. yeah no, it's th- that's like what I was saying about Maryland. Like, there's a lot of that in sort of the East Coast, New England. Yeah, I mean, Ma- Massachusetts also has a Republican governor, despite, ha- despite like their entire congressional delegation being Democrats. Yeah. It's wild. And I think that uh, it sort of reminds me of... Um, I, my dad and I are, like, doing this thing where we, like, recommend each other a book and then we read it, so what I recommended him was Half a Yellow Sun by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and it's about the Nigerian Civil War, and my dad was talking to me about it, and he's like, I never really knew anything about it before, and he's like, it didn't really seem like a, like a civil war, because it was also, it was just about these political and these, um, like, lifestyle disputes, and so it was a much messier war i haven't actually yes. read the book in a while but it it was just um i just think yeah. that it was generally not good for anyone there and i think that yeah if no. in the people and it, it was really bad for the people in the cities who were like well why are we doing this to the people in the in the rural areas and i i just see that as like there are so many republican people in big metropolis areas Like, what are they going to do if we all start, like, putting a red or blue flag outside a door to signify which side we're on? Um, So I I don't don't think it'll necessarily uh, end up being like a like a partisan thing. I think it will it will end up devolving down to the local level. And like uh, you'll get you'll get and, you know, you might you might get like, say, like, I don't know, like let's say Omaha does something where they like, they like implement some sort of like, like 
like you know like democratic confederalist like commune sort of thing you might end up seeing people like from other from other areas who sort of are like lefties like that flock to that area that might happen but um i don't i don't uh, i don't think it'll broadly speaking i don't think it'll be ideological i think it will eventually become urban rural and uh local and it is going to be messy if it happens uh yeah it's a bummer right well and we have to think about like moderates too or even like even the more i've been in college i have been like so astounded by how this sounds very childish but like how different everyone's political ideology is because again back in Ogallala <laughs> you were like Republican or you were like one of the Democrats you know <laughs> and there were like five of you and you just like kind of hung out and then like I got to college and I like interacted with those Democratic Democrats and like some of them are like oh yeah I love Beto O'Rourke and I'm like I really really don't you know so <laughs> Or, like, people are like, yes, communism. And I have never really been, like, I I agree that, like, healthcare is right and stuff like that. But I am really, really not into socialism. Like, that's just not my thing. Um, <laughs> and it's just, there's so much diversity in thought on both sides and in both ways. And, like, I came to college and realized that I like guns, that I think that, like, guns should be, like, allowed. And I was like what you know so i think there's just so much of it and so much diversity of thought that i don't know if maybe that will help prevent this like polarization in a way yeah yeah i i i yeah that's that's a lot i i also think that so in some recent civil wars in other countries most people haven't expected it and right now like something like 60 percent of americans expect some kind of like violence within the like like serious civil unrest and so maybe we're just jinxing ourselves and it won't happen yeah no so so i i think that the fact that we expect it is maybe what people are like anticipating is maybe a good sign because like there people will you know be more conscious of like oh okay so we need we need to lower the temperature in this situation uh so yeah all yeah. I have to say is I don't know. That's that's all I have. <laughs> that's what I'd sum up about everything. I just don't know at this point. I hope everyone's safe. Yeah, I hope everyone stays safe too. Yes. Please try to not resort to violence. That's that's my two cents. <laughs> Please try not to do that. Um me and my friend were we just like binged all the seasons of the handmaid's tale and we came up with just a blanket statement that if your if your society makes you color code based on your role it is probably a really oppressive system of government so if we get to the point where we have to start hanging red and blue flags outside our door that's an issue i don't know that's i don't also think, i don't think the avatar world was oppressive and they were pretty color coded i guess no one made them color code they all just kind of did that they kind of just did that. They were like, I'm Earth Kingdom. I wear green. Yeah. If people like color code, it should be voluntary. Yes. Voluntary color coding. That's what we support here. And if you don't want to color code, you know, no worries. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. Um, Any final thoughts besides those nuggets of wisdom from anyone? Cool. Nope. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm all wisdomed out, so. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, that was our first episode of, um, what do we call it again? In my humble opinion, yes. Um, yes, that was, our, that was our first episode, and we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you have a great rest of your week, and we hope you stay safe on Election Day and beyond. <laughs>